0: So good to be with you this morning, Bridge family, and those of you who are tuning in online right now or uh, tuned in earlier for, for worship. We're really grateful to have you. And I just wanna say thank you to those of you who have served our country uh, in the military, um, who have faithfully, um, whatever role you've had, have have served to protect us. And we wanna just say thank you. And I'd like to just pray as we begin and and thank God for veterans would you join me gracious God I'm just so thankful to live in this country for the freedoms that we have and God we've had many uh, millions of people serve our our country and uh, to defend our freedoms and uh, I just want to say thank you God and Lord I think of uh, veterans in our country today and um, I pray for those uh, who have been during, injured during war and have physical disabilities and some face uh, post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome. And um, God, we, ha- we as a country haven't done well enough to, to serve our vet- veterans. And um, may uh, you show us how we can just continue to care for those uh, who have served and to serve them well as, as well. And as we have prayed already, I pray for healing in our country today. Uh, Father, for, um, we, we've had the election and um, good people voted uh, for both parties, and uh, some are disappointed and, and some are joyful or thankful. And God, we just acknowledge that you are in control, that you are sovereign. And that you work out your plans and your details and they are far uh, beyond us. And may we as Christians uh, represent you well. And may you work uh, healing in our land and bring unity to our nation and to our leaders. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. So today, uh, we're going to be back in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about your marriage today. And I want to start with this question. Have you ever given your spouse the silent treatment? You know, you got into an argument, and you got your feelings hurt, and then you just, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to talk anymore. And you, and you just give your spouse the silent treatment. I read about a married couple who had an argument and both ended up uh, and gave each other, uh, they, they ended up hurt and they gave each other the silent treatment. And this lasted for about a week. And after a week went by, the husband realized he needed his wife's help. This is kind of how guys think, you know. And... Uh, and so he had to get up early the next morning to make a flight to Chicago, and so he needed to have his wife wake him up i don 't know why you know he needed to have his wife wake him up, but he needed to, to get his wife 's help to wake up, wake him up at five am. But he didn 't want to break the silence, not on his part. he wasn 't going to give in. So he wrote her a note. Please wake me up at 5 a.m. And so he woke up the next morning. It's a little bit after 7 a.m. And he realizes he's missed the flight. He's not going to make it. And so he's kind of disappointed in his wife and he wants to know right off the bat. And so he gets out of bed, but there he notices a note right beside the bed in his wife's handwriting. And it says, it's 5 a.m., get up. Sometimes married people have adversity, don't they? And that's exactly uh, what the Apostle Paul addresses for us in our passage today. Uh, Because there was adversity in the first century as well. It was totally of a different kind. Think about our day. Think about where we are right now. In the 21st century, we have experienced a COVID captivity that's just changed everything for us. It's changed all of our activities in the workplace, how we do our shopping. Um, and oh, parents with school kids, it's just one day at a time. And, and sometimes it's virtual and sometimes it's in person. And uh, it's just can be really hard. There have been school closures and we have online learning. And we've seen during this time period a great period of. Racial tension explode in our country because of racism. We've watched hurricanes and tornadoes um, destroy, and wildfires destroy property. We've seen people lose their lives as we watch the nightly news, and, and some people's lives have been changed forever because of these things. We've lived with political tension and sometimes political chaos. And we've just gone through election, and now we're doing not only with COVID fatigue, but now we're dealing with election fatigue on top of that. All these these things, you know, we can say we have it great compared to other people, and it's true. But all these things together do bring stress into marriages. Sometimes life is so hectic, so stressed, so consuming... that we let the most important human relationship slide, and that's the relationship we have with our mates. So, we're going to look today at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and Peter starts with our wives, and, um, you know, ladies first. So here we go. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And Peter writes, "'Wives, in the same way, "'submit yourselves to your own husbands "'so that if any of them do not believe the word, "'they may be won over without words "'by the behavior of their wives.'" When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or or clothes, Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women in the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right, And do not give away to fear. Okay, let's have a look at this passage. And we're going to start, uh, if you follow along in your outline, I just want to remind you that there's a full outline on your, if you use the church Bible app or if you uh, go to the website and download it from there. First of all, wives, treat your husbands with honor. Now, Peter gives six verses for wives, and he only gives one verse for husbands. Is that fair? Well, Paul brings a little balance because the Apostle Paul gives three verses for wives and like eight and a half verses, three three and a half verses for wives and eight and a half verses for husbands. So let's have a look here. Uh, Verses one and two, wives, the way you relate to your husband, the way you relate to your husband can help him see what God is like. Wives, according to Peter, have the incredible potential given by God to impact their husbands for good. Uh, they have so much potential. Look at verse one again. Wives In the same way, in keeping with the former context, goes back to verses 11 and 12 in chapter 2. And it's about living under God's authority. To submit is a, remember this, it's a voluntary choice to place uh, a husband as God's designated leader for your family it's not subjugation it's a choice God has marked out an order I didn't dream it up Um, it's a choice it's not because uh, guys are smarter than gals I think most of our wives are probably smarter than us Uh, it's not because men are more spiritual they are not it's not because he is always right. He may not be right very often. I don't know. Uh, it's but because God designated him to be the leader in his home. Um, look, at, look at verse... So, that it, uh, so wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your husband. So that, that's the why, if any of them do not believe the word they may be won without words by the behavior of their wives. This is the spiritual resource, ladies, to get your husband's attention. In Peter's day, uh, in the church, there were likely many spiritually mixed marriages, meaning that there were Think about this, this is first generation Christianity, that there were many women who were more sensitive spiritually and they came to faith first before their husbands. And now they're living in a world turned upside down and they're seeking to follow Christ and their husband doesn't have the same values. In fact, he has different religious perspectives and they do not include the true and living God. So this, in the first century, Peter's talking to women who had unbelieving husbands. So how does she lead him to Christ? Well, this is Peter's answer. Non-Christian husbands can be won by the God-honoring behavior of their wives. This is upside-down thinking to our culture. Where do we get our values from the world we live in? Or are there higher values? Uh, this is one of those values of the kingdom of God. It is not one of the values of our culture. Uh, wives submitting to husbands is not old-fashioned or just traditional, like it's stuck in the past, it is a kingdom value. When Jesus entered the world, he turned the world upside down. Let me just uh, remind you of uh, some of the values of the kingdom. So, it's kind of like opposite of how our world evaluates. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even in marriage? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom values are different than many of the values that we see in our world today. So Peter writes uh, that they may be one without words, without preaching, without nagging, without continuing to show your husband that he's not perfect, that he's got a whole lot of flaws. There's something, there's a spiritual dynamic that God has designed into the marriage relationship. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, when they see Christ reflected in their mates, um, when, when, when husbands see, ladies, that you are a godly woman, when they see you're not a perfect person because perfect people don't make mistakes. It's how we deal with our own faults and when we say we're sorry and when we ask for forgiveness, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. The reverence is not reverence for the husband. It's reverence for God, because he has a higher value. Now, this this passage also applies. Now, this was originally intended toward... uh, It was for spiritually mixed messages where believing wives had unbelieving husbands. The same principle applies for the Christian husband who is lazy or sloppy in their Christian walk, and they don't always honor God. Same principles apply. That God uses the same uh, resource in marriage. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-two. He says, "Wives, submit yourselves." To your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And, and, the, and the idea is if, if a woman chooses voluntarily to follow her husband's leadership, I'm not talking about blindly, I'm not talking about uh, she can't communicate, she can't ask questions, she can't sh- share her own ideas because a wise husband is really going to want to hear what his wife has to say. Not talking about that. If a a husband ever asks a wife to do something to dishonor God, she should refuse. Uh, She's not required to uh, disobey God, to, to obey her husband or follow his leadership. But when she chooses to submit, to follow the leadership of her husband, Because of her commitment for Christ, she at the same time is submitting to her Lord. In verses 3 through 6, Wives, uh, focus on developing your inner beauty above your outer beauty. Now this is one of those things when you think about our culture today and you think about what's important in our culture. Where do we get ideas of beauty? What does a beautiful woman look like? And where do we go to see beauty in our culture today. And it has huge impacts on people's self-image, doesn't it? On what the perfect body looks like and what the perfect hair looks like and how you should dress if you had the money to kind of thing, if you could keep up with how the styles change. And, and those things can have a huge impact on us. And I'm not saying you can't dress in fashion or, or have a hairstyle that's in fashion. I'm not saying that. Let's just, let's just walk this through. Uh, Peter writes, verse 3, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold or jewelry or fine clothes. Now, this was, Peter's just kind of given us a snapshot of what was in vogue in the first century. Uh, In the first century, pretty much throughout the Roman Empire, highly influenced by the Greeks and the Romans, And and Peter's talking to Gentile churches in Turkey, and these were like high values for beauty for women, was to have these things and to focus on these things. This was their latest fashion. This was a first century cultural fashion. Now, Peter is not saying don't wear clothes. You know, someone that, take that passage there. But we go back to where do we get this idea of beauty? And, and what do we want to focus on? And Peter says, rather, verse 4, it should be that of your inner self. Peter wants us to see that the inner beauty is more important than your external appearance. And sometimes it's so easy, even in the Christian world, to lose the balance there. To put, oh, I need to, yeah, go ahead, um, look your best for your husbands. Oh, that's awesome. That's, I, I, I'm all for it. Just don't elevate this whole idea of your physical image or appearance and not take care of, of the inner spiritual life that is the priority he says it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit you know that the opposite would be a harsh spirit a harsh person a loud noisy spirit is the opposite and what. Uh, Peter is talking about is, is the woman walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about this, the spirit-controlled woman, the wife who responds with gentleness instead of the harshness. And who has a quiet spirit. Doesn't mean she doesn't talk, doesn't mean she can't communicate, doesn't mean she can't speak her opinion. She ought to speak the truth in love. So here's the deal. There are values for women in our world, in the world that we live in, and they don't always mix well with God's values. And sometimes we just don't think about it. And what Peter says here is this woman who walks with God, he says, which is of great worth in God's sight. God has a really high value for women who walk with Him in their marriage relationship. Now, I think God understands the stress and the difficulties, wives, that you face. I, I admit I don't understand all that you face. God knows. He is not surprised. And yet he's still saying, this is one of my values. Next, Peter illustrates in verse 5. He he illustrates his point by going back to the Old Testament. Verse 5, this is the way the holy women of the past. Holy women. He's talking about women, godly women, who uh, set their lives apart for God. For the purpose, because that's what holy means, for the purpose of serving him and trusting him and honoring him. He says, this is the way holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. you know the passage where that's it's it's um, Genesis chapter 18 verse 10 where she calls him lord it's when god says sarah you're going to have a baby next year and she is pushing 90 and she laughs am i going to have joy with my lord after my not my my childbearing years are over it's like This sounds a little bit silly, and she laughs. But she calls, this is the time that she calls Abraham her lord. I'm not telling you you have to to go home and call your husband lord, but you can if you want to. It'll probably scare him or something. And he says, you are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, Sarah's going to be, I, I don't know if Sarah seems like a very important person to you, but Sarah is going to be in, the, in Faith's Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11. And the great thing about the Old Testament, it doesn't hide people's flaws, some of the silly things that they did. And many of these were great heroes of the faith. She had fears. You know, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. It was out of Babylon. And God called Abraham, and Abraham's uh, well into his life, and he's established, and he's pretty well-to-do, and they, they probably had a beautiful home in Ur. And God said, Abraham, I want you to go. And so, Sarah, God wants us to go. You think that was hard for Sarah to give up everything to follow? And where did they go? They went out and lived in tents for the rest of her life. God took them to the promised land, but they they didn't get this beautiful home. They just kept traveling because they weren't settled yet. They were sojourners. And what would it be like to have to become pregnant when you're 89 to 90 years old. And did, did Sarah have fear? Sure she did. How's this going to happen, God? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. But Sarah trusted God ultimately and overcame her fear. Okay, enough. For our ladies, let's switch gears here. Let's talk to the husbands uh, for a couple of minutes. And we see this in the verse. So verse, uh, first, verse 6 is, Wives, treat your husbands with honor. And now we come to verse 7. Husbands, treat your wives with honor. This is quite radical in the first century world. Men typically were not told how they should treat women. And you know what? It's really pretty radical behavior for the 21st century today. Let's look. Verse 7. Men consider that God intentionally made your wife different than you. My own experience, this has caused a lot of stress in our marriage. Because I was raised in a very competitive environment. Primarily through sports, and there was only one goal, and that is to win and um I just came into marriage very you know you know I got married very young, that's part of the problem is I didn't grow up, but uh, I just came into marriage that I got this i'm I'm smart, probably smarter than you and. I know what we need to do and you just need to pay attention to what I say. That's kind of my approach in marriage. I'm sorry, that's, it's all true. You can interview my wife afterwards. Um, men, consider that God intentionally made your wife different than you. She's a woman, you know that already. That's what attracted you to her in the first place. She's cute, she laughs at your jokes, Maybe nobody else will, but look what Peter has to say. Husbands, verse 7, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Husbands, in the same way. In the same way that God has called wives to follow Christ in their marriage. God is calling husbands to follow Christ in their marriage. Uh, Husbands, Peter writes, be considerate. Don't treat her like a man. Don't treat her like a co-worker. Acknowledge that God intentionally made her different than you. And he did that so that you would grow and adjust and try to figure things out. Um, one of the things that... Uh, One of my seminary profs, Howard Hendricks, uh, used to say that we um, kind of adapted into our own marriage. He would say, Men, you got to be students of your wives. You got to study them. Be considerate. Uh, Live in an understanding way. New American Standard. And you got to know your mates really well. And you probably already do. The sad thing is, we know. How to tick them off. We know how to hurt their feelings. And and sometimes we pull that card. And that's where we need uh, to submit to Christ and, and to honor her and not pull that card and not seek to hurt her or devalue her. Wives are to be treated with respect, with honor. Your wife is an equal partner uh, and makes great sacrifices for you. The way you speak, your attitude, your tone of voice should honor her. How do we treat important people? We usually are courteous and we're polite. We think about what we're going to say before we say it. We usually... uh, Don't spout out anger at people that we think are really important. And and Peter's saying, men, your wives are really, really important. Show them honor. Show them respect. The Apostle Paul uh, weighs in on this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and that's, the, that's the measure. Husbands loved your wives the way Jesus loved the church. He sacrificed, He gave Himself, he, he laid down His life for the church, His bride. And that's our model. And by the way, this whole idea of leadership and submission is, is, is grounded in the theology of Jesus and His church. It's not just a cultural idea that goes back to the ancient times. It's it's designed into the theology of the church. Um, Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church. Love like Jesus. He, He loves, he defends, he protects. He put her needs ahead of his needs. And that's just what God intends for us, that husbands put our wives' needs ahead of our own needs. This, this is radical. It was radical in the first century. Next, men, treat your wives with respect because God made her to be more emotionally sophisticated and physically delicate. So back to verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with honor as the weaker partner. Now Peter gets a whole lot of bad rap here because he uses this term weaker. And women are strong. Yes, they are. But Peter is saying there's a difference between men and women. There's a difference between husbands and wives. Men, I would guess there's a good chance if you arm-wrestled with your wife, you would win. So what? Uh, Maybe not in every case, I don't know. Uh, There's no guarantee of that. But God made men and women differently. She's not like you. Um, You might be able to overpower her, and we have seen that in the news where men have abused women and taken advantage of women. That was never God's intention. Um, She is likely more emotional than you. I don't know, that's not true in every case, but usually it is. My wife is way more emotional than I am. Um, Perhaps your wife is more intuitive than you are. It's true in my marriage. God made the female brain differently than he made my brain. I can only think out of the left side of my brain at once. I I don't have the ability. I just stay on the logical and the factual and the cool emotionally and the practical. That's how I think. That's not how Sue thinks. Most women are able uh, to think out of the left side and right side all at the same time. And they pick up way more information than males do when they do that. And um, sometimes Sue will come to a decision quicker than I will about the environment around because she's taking in more information than I am. Or if it's not quicker, it's more accurate than mine sometimes. God made our wives differently. Typically, women are more emotionally sophisticated. Um, they pick up way more on emotions than male than men do and frankly, i'm glad i my life isn't that complicated that I have to deal with all these emotions all the time, but uh, you know what that makes that made my wife a really good nurturer for our kids and she was aware of our kids' needs way more than i was i just knew the facts and i didn't always agree with you know it's going to cost money we can't spend money that way and yet she's telling me something important about the kids and i i just wanted i was it was a process but i learned to listen and to value what she had to say because she was right and I need to make some decisions where she has the best information. And one of the ways that um, Sue and I handled this whole thing, I don't think, I do remember as a, when I, be, when I became a follower of Christ, um, within a couple of years, you know, once I learned, that the Bible said, she was supposed to be submissive, I pulled the be submissive card a couple of times. You know, that was really fun for her, you know, that I reminded her she's supposed to be submissive. I really don't want to be in that situation ever again. Um, The way I like to make decisions is let's make we decisions. She's smart, she has good information, she has life experience. I bring my side. And together we want to talk about it. And together we want to come to a we decision. Because God made two of us to become one. And um, yeah, if we use the term headship, and Peter doesn't use it here, but if we use that term, yeah, there's a designated leader. And if push came to shove and only one person could make the decision, um, it it would fall back to me. And sometimes we get to that point and Sue will just say, you just make the final call. And it's not like, I'm sitting there waiting for her. It's just that she'll just say that. Um, And there, there are a lot of times where because of what the information she brings, I just want to do what she would like to do. And it really makes sense to me. Even if I can't understand it all, I believe her and I trust her because of her track record. So let's keep going. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So, men, understand that if you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. We see that in verse 7. If you are insensitive to your wife, God will be insensitive to you. How you treat your wife really, really matters to God. If you are harsh with your wife, don't be surprised if God is harsh with you. If you are self-centered and self-focused, God is going to be insensitive to you. Don't expect God to help you out in this life. You have just cut yourself off from God. You, you've removed God's favor from your life when you treat your wife poorly, when you don't honor her, when you don't show her respect. And um, lastly, in verse 7, I'm going to read the whole verse again. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Peter calls our wives heirs of the gracious gift of life. Your wife is an equal partner. Uh, Galatians uh, 3.28 talks about how we are one in Christ, male and female. We're equal. Um, Here he says you are an heir in the gracious gift of life your wife is an equal partner in the eternal inheritance God put you put you together to share this life as equal partners and in the life to come equal in who you are equal in value there, there there's Nothing about inferiority in this concept of of submission. Um, God made her differently men than you so that you would learn from her and so you would meet her needs and you would desire what's best for her. That's what Jesus did for the church. He Love your wives as Jesus loved the church. Okay, I wanna give some practical advice for husbands and wives. I have four things here I wanna c- cover. Number one, choose, husbands and wives, choose intentionally to enrich your marriage. What do I mean? Man budget for it. Um, invest in your marriage if you want it to last. Plan, plan dates periodically. Plan an overnight or a weekend getaway once in a while. But it's gonna take a plan and you're gonna have to sit down and talk. How can you make this happen? Because there are schedule issues, there are financial issues. And what do we do? How do we spend our time? Talk it through and come up with a plan together. Secondly, and this may be the most important thing I say, remember that love is a decision. Love is a decision. Our culture tends to focus on love being a feeling. Love lasts as long as it feels good, right? As long as I feel love for you, I'll be married to you, but if I don't feel that anymore, why should I stay married? In a a real marriage, love is more than feelings. Real married people As God designed it, real marriage is based on a commitment. It's a choice. It's a decision. I choose to love. I choose to forgive. I choose to be kind. I choose to be gracious. I choose to serve my mate. It's my choice. I'm committed to that. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus instructed uh, his followers, "The new command I give you is to love one another as I have loved you, so that you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is just basic Christianity, Christianity 101. This is to be part of marriage, to love. It's a sacrificial love. It can only be done in the strength of God's love working through us to our our mates. And the interesting thing here, God has sort of designed a Christian marriage to be a powerful apologetic for the gospel. It attracts people to Jesus when people who don't know Christ yet see a couple who honor God with the way they treat each other. Thirdly, commit resolving conflict Commit to resolving conflict over winning conflict. And I already told you I grew up in a competitive environment. And my value was found in winning. That's when I felt good about myself, when I won. Um, I thought this was going to be successful in marriage, and it was actually a disaster, as you can imagine. Um, Ephesians 4.26 uh, the Apostle P, uh, Apostle Paul writes, "In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry." You know, we're going to have conflict in marriage. Conflict is normal, and uh, we're going to get angry. That's normal too. It's how we handle the anger. And do we is it, if if we let our anger toward our mate go underground, it becomes bitterness, and uh, we can do the quiet treatment for a week. Um, how's that working out for you? <laughs> Um, but talk about, uh, somewhere along the line I learned to talk about my anger and I admitted I am feeling angry. I didn't, I would be angry, I would be harsh, I would be loud and I wouldn't admit it. I, and, and I didn't realize all that I was feeling or I didn't realize why I was feeling that. And, and sometimes just talking about, I am feeling angry, I'm not sure why. And then in a discussion with Sue, I might be able to identify, yeah, that, that's why I responded in anger. And I'm sorry, you know. And um, it can, it's just healthy. healthy. And, and to, to seek to deal with anger and not let it go underground or not let it explode and spew all over and hurt people. Romans 12, 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not repay anyone for evil, evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone if it's possible. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. You don't have to get back at your mate. You don't have to repay your mate if your mate has hurt you. Uh, Try something new. Try something different. Uh, Try something unusual. Forgive them. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have a a grievance against someone like your mate, bear with each other means to cut them some slack. Give them some grace, some room, and then forgive. Let them off the hook. Stop holding their um, failures and their shortcomings against them. Let it go. Because you probably have your own failures and shortcomings as well. And they have cut you some slack. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility. What a great way. Just Christianity 101 in our marriage relationship. In humility, value your, your mate above yourselves. So if you bring this attitude into resolving conflict, it will revolutionize your ability to resolve. All couples have conflict. Conflict is normal. Sometimes I hear Christians get the idea that they don't think they should have, that spiritual people don't have conflict. That's a lie. Um, If you're a growing Christ follower they're gonna have strong opinions about some things and um, it's just normal to to have different, different experiences, different perspectives, you come at the same issue differently and you're going to disagree. It's okay. How do you resolve it? How do you grow from it? What can you learn from it? Okay, last thing I want to say is take the D word out of the equation. Don't let the divorce word be a part of your vocabulary for your marriage. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful uh, to my wife Sue. You know, even in all my immaturity in our early marriage She had this commitment about marriage for life, and she got pretty miserable in our marriage. And I made it very hard for seven years of our marriage as I floundered around. And sometimes, I think for her, it didn't seem like there was very much hope. Um, Sometimes, I would imagine, it seemed to her that she was going to be stuck in an unhappy marriage the rest of her life. But Sue embraced 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. And she, she really sought to walk with God and to live this out. And, uh, you know, slowly God just sort of hammered at my hard heart. And um, I could see that what she had was real. That there's got to be something to this God thing. And... Um, After seven years, and it was it was it was that last year that the light really began to break through into my darkness. And and I placed my faith in Christ. And that changed everything for us. Um, The life she lived before me was powerful. Um, I got to see God at work and it attracted me to Him. God used it to get through to me. So I want to, you know, we've said that love is a choice. Love is a decision. I want to take you back, if you're you're married, I want to take you back to your wedding vow. Your wedding vow probably wasn't like this. Uh, This is one that I've used in in weddings, but I bet you had one, if you had a Christian vow, that it was similar to this. Here's a question for us. If you're married, do you promise to love honor, trust, and be faithful to him or to her in sickness and health, adversity and prosperity, and to be true and loyal to him or her so as long as you both shall live. Then what? If you do, say, I do. Big question. Are you committed to that in your marriage? You know this, this isn't just about well, gee, if he treats me right or she does this for me and she does that, then I'm going to try to be a better husband this is This is a Christian commitment, and you know what it's impossible to keep this vow apart from christ and, and apart from him giving us the strength and him giving us wisdom and and him, him giving us uh the power to live it out because it's just so easy to to do things in our own strength and our own perspective and to want our rights and to want freedom. Freedom in Christ is way better than being free of your marriage. Freedom in Christ comes as you walk with Christ. Okay, we're going to share in a time of communion today. And um, what a great way to recommit to your mate. Communion is a time where we reflect back and we think and evaluate our lives and acknowledge that if there's sin in our lives, we need to confess it before God. And um, communion is a time where we take the bread and the cup and we remember. It takes us back to the central truth of Christianity that Christ died for us. And we take the cup and we take the bread and the cup... Represents the blood that was shed by, by Jesus when he died on the cross and we take the bread and, and the, the bread is a symbol and it reminds us of um, his body that suffered for our behalf and when we think about our sin and we think about what Jesus did for us it ought to humble us and, and we ought to Come back to God and acknowledge our sin and our failure and, and recommit to walking with Him. And if we need to today, let's recommit to our marriages as well. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, we just pause before you today and we 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 just want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the life that he lived, and the sacrifices he made. We acknowledge, God, that because of our sin, we deserve the death. Not only physical death, but total separation from you, where the Bible calls hell. We deserve that because of sin. And God, we're grateful that you've made a way for us to be forgiven by sending Jesus. And that when we placed our faith in Christ, our sins were forgiven because of what Jesus did for us. He died for our sin. He paid for it. And now we don't have to have the death, but now we have the life. We have a life that's eternal. We have life right now that's offered as the abundant life walking by faith, living for Him. It doesn't always look attractive to our world, but it is attractive in the kingdom. I thank you for our marriages. I thank you that you have brought someone into our lives that will love us and put up with our failures and weaknesses and our flaws. May we be the spouses that can love them back, that can commit to them, that can show them respect and honor. God, for our own sin, we, we confess that, we acknowledge that. And then God, right now, I just want to I want to thank you for the bread that um, is a symbol of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we're going to take the bread. If you have a sealed communion, just peel off the top. first layer and I now have it here is the bread the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ let's share this together Our Father, in the same way, uh, we take the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ and that we remember his death, we remember the blood that was shed for us. May we be mindful of the, the, the cost to you and may we live our lives back to you in response to you appreciation of all that you've done for us. Amen. Let's take the cup. Let's stand together.